Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Community. Glad you're here. My name is Fritz Bilo. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. And uh, if you're in the house, I do want to welcome you, especially if you're a first-time guest. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're just really glad you're here because the fact that you showed up um, just says that, man, you're, you're interested. You want to find out what is God doing here uh, among this group of people. So uh, thank you so much. And then I do want to welcome those who are joining from Bluffton Community. So they're live streaming in for the teaching this morning. So I'm wondering, hey, uh, if you're here in the house at Lighthouse, would you guys show some love to Bluffton community right now and let them know that you're glad? Yes. We love you guys, and so uh, we also want to welcome everybody that is uh, joining us at Lighthouse Online. Thanks for being with us today as well. Two quick updates, one about building to change lives. Um, You may know already we've bought 11 acres on County Road 99 to build our new ministry center um, because we are quickly running out of room, and I'll share that update in just a second. Um, But uh, since our vision gathering, which was just a couple of weekends ago, um, talking about that project, just over the last few weeks, um, over $140,000 has been given between people who have pledged or new givers uh, that are jumping in on this thing. And so essentially what's happened is in just a few weeks, uh, our cash balance has gone from, I think it's $1.77 million to $1.91 million. Um, And so things are moving in a good direction. And so I want to say thank you to everybody who's been giving, who's been pledging, who's been praying, who's been, uh, I want to say thank you to our new givers, uh, to those who are just sacrificially giving uh, above and beyond their regular giving. We're just so grateful. Uh, We keep moving closer and closer to be able to pull the trigger uh, on making that happen. There's going to be some really big things coming uh, in the next few months. So I want to say thank you to this church family for what you're doing to share the gospel. And one of the reasons we're doing this is if you were here last Sunday, um, if you weren't, and if you weren't here last Sunday, let me tell you, uh, there were over 100 uh, children and students uh, in this building, uh, in the other building. They were everywhere, right? Some of y'all need to get a new hobby, all right? That's all I'm saying. Get a book. Uh, <laughs> you know? Uh, but no, <laughs> it was it was fantastic. Um, and so I want to give a huge thank you to our Lighthouse Kids team, to Allie Brasky, who's leading that team so well. Uh, thank you to everybody who's scheduled for volunteering. And then we had a number of you who last minute you stepped up, you saw the need, and you jumped into the classroom and you helped. Because I think there was, in the 9 o'clock last week, there was 17 babies in that room right there. And I think in the 11, there were 16 babies uh, in that room. So yeah, you like tip your nursery workers, okay? That's all. I'm saying. Okay. All right. But I want to let you know, I mean, just really, really good stuff that God is doing uh, in our church family. Very, very exciting. Okay. So if you live in Ohio um, and you are of a more progressive or liberal persuasion in your politics, uh, you're pretty happy after things played out on Tuesday. Now, if you're more conservative-leaning in your politics, uh, you're a little bit more angry and a little bit more frustrated since Tuesday uh, and everything that has played out. And so liberals are really excited, conservatives are really unhappy, and here's what I want to tell you, is if you are a Christian, your mission has not changed. 
If you are a follower of Christ, no matter what has happened in the polls, no matter what direction the vote has leaned, the mission has not changed. We are still on the mission to serve as God's witnesses to his work in our lives and in the world. It hasn't changed one tiny bit. And I think what I've been most surprised with as I've been, you know, just kind of scanning things online and and looking at things on Facebook, because I've been really surprised at how uh, Christ followers who I know have really responded to what happened uh, following Tuesday. Uh, You know, different messaging that's being sent out there, like the world has gone to hell, or I'm leaving Ohio and I'm moving to Florida, because that'll make things better, Um, right? Um, I I have seen Christians draw lines in the sand posting things like this. If you voted this certain way, you can cut me out of your life because I will be cutting you out of mine, right? This is is amazing to me that these these are Christ followers. These are These are Christians, and I'm looking at that, and I see that online, and then I look at Jesus in the Gospels, and I'm going... That, that doesn't match up at all. That, that's not even close. That's not even like similar to what we see. And, and so I'm just looking at it going, why, why don't we as Christ followers look like Christ? Why are we okay allowing people to go to hell without a fight? Why is it that actually some of us are almost looking forward to that day? That some people at the end of their life, they're going to be eternally separated from God. And we're like, well, they're going to get what they deserve. And we're almost celebrating it and looking forward to it. And why in the world are we surprised that people who don't follow Jesus make decisions that are out of alignment with the character of Jesus? Why, why is that shocking to us? Why is that surprising that people who don't believe in Jesus, people who don't subscribe to his teachings or his way of life, wouldn't live the way of Jesus? Actually, that makes the most amount of sense, right? And so I'm just looking at all of this, and I'm looking at the scriptures, and it seems so timely for where we are. By the way, this series that we're in uh, was prayed over and decided by our elder team in August of 2022. And so to know that this is where we're going to be at today, it feels like God has something to say to us. And so today, I want to show you from the Bible that our mission as Christ followers has not changed. No matter what is going on around us, no matter what's taking place in the world, no matter whether you got your way or you didn't get your way, the mission has not changed and I want to show you how we can thoughtfully continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So as Heidi mentioned, if you brought a Bible with you, open up to Matthew chapter 9, and we're continuing in this series called The Anointed One, Discovering My Life's Purpose in Jesus the Christ, uh, really seeing how Jesus changes absolutely everything. And so before we read that passage, I do want to take a moment to pray just to prepare our hearts uh, and our minds, uh, probably mine even more so. We ask, uh, so let's take a moment and pray. Lord, my my prayer today um, is that here at Lighthouse and at Bluffton, that there would be a clear sense that the Holy Spirit is present, that he is leading us clearly into truth. Um, He is pushing past barriers and guardrails and boundaries that we have placed him in in each of our lives, and we would give him permission to bust through all of those things and to go to places that maybe we have protected and preserved for months, years, potentially even decades in our lives, and that we 
would hear freshly what you have to say through the scriptures and that you would empower us to believe that it's true and then to actually respond with obedience and trust to your truth and to your way. We ask these things desperately in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 9. We are going to start in verse 35 this morning and read a couple passages after that. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not, take, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, there's a lot that Jesus shared with his disciples in that moment, and and we get a glimpse into who Jesus is as well. And I just want to pull out two what I think are really critical things for us this morning. The first one is this. We see really quickly that Jesus has compassion for helpless people. That, that is abundantly clear. That Jesus has compassion for helpless people. So he's, he's going from town to town, village to village. He's teaching, he's healing. And as he's seeing this, he's seeing the overwhelming need. He's seen all of these people who are helpless and harassed. They're tormented by their troubles. They're weighed down by the disease and the illness in their life. These are people who are living without God, challenged by the daily burdens of their life. And what's interesting is it seems that the things that they were facing were actually intimidating them to stay in the dark and to stay away from God. Because Matthew describes them as helpless and harassed, that these are people who had been rejected. These are people who had been thrown to the side. 
right? Uh, if you remember in Matthew 8, when we first started the series a few weeks ago, the, some of the first people we met were a leper who was untouchable, a centurion who would have been seen as unclean. Uh, just last week, a woman with uh, the issue of bleeding, uh, demon-possessed people, all of these issues, these were the untouchables, these were the not good enough, these were people who were not allowed to be on the in crowd. And Jesus looks and he sees that these are hurting people who don't have a shepherd and they're simply doing the best that they know how to do. This is what's going on. And he sees that there is no one there to shepherd them. There's no one there to guide them. There's no one to care for them. No one to mend up their wounds. No one to provide Right? They're, they're on their own trying to figure this out. Because what was going on was the religious leaders of the day had said, you have to, eat, have to meet this threshold, you have to meet this level, and if you don't, there's no place for you here. You have to stay outside. You have to stay away. Until you meet this threshold, until you start, until you start living this way, until your voting record begins to look like this, you have to stay away. And so the religious leaders who were supposed to be shepherding them were actually placing weight on them. And Jesus sees all of this, and he's moved with compassion. Now, compassion is a very critical word, because I think for us, when we hear the word compassion, what we do is we tend to define that with another word like pity or sympathy. And so we think that compassion is feeling bad. For someone else. That compassion is sympathizing, going, oh, what a tough situation, and I can't believe they're struggling with this. I'm so sorry that they're going through this. What I would say is pity and sympathy is the first half of compassion. So you actually don't cross into compassion until you go to the fulfillment, which is all the way through. So compassion starts with pity, with sympathy, with seeing someone, of, someone else's helpless situation, but it completes itself by actually doing something to help more than posting a photo on social media or raising awareness about an issue, right? It's actually entering into the situation to help, to serve, to bless, to relieve the situation that's going on. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And I think it's amazing. He says, okay, we got to pray. We got to pray to the Lord of the harvest. There's a lot of work. There's not a lot of workers. So pray. One of the thing that, things that bothers me about uh, our current translations of the Bible that have chapters and verses is a lot of people, if you read chapter 9 and you're like reading it for the day, you'll read 9 and then you'll stop. And you go, yeah, we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And then later the next day or whenever you jump back in, you read verse 10 and you see them as two separate ideas. But they're actually a continuation. Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And then what's verse 10 or chapter 10? Eeny, meeny, miny, you, go, right? <laughs> I'm telling you to go. Let's make this happen right now. Jesus literally answers his own prayer uh, right after he recommends to pray it. Why? Because he's moved with compassion. Why is that important for us to know and to understand? Because what this says is, right, Jesus is God, right? We've already made that really clear over the last few weeks. And if Jesus has compassion, what that means is, we have a God who cares. We have a God who cares, a God who sees what we're going through, and a God who has moved to do something about it. And so what, what Matthew is doing is he is reminding us of truth, like Psalm 
Chapter 86, verse 15, reminding us of the character of God. And so actually, let's do this. Let's read this, uh, this verse, Psalm 86, 15, out loud together, starting with, but you, Lord, are you ready? Go. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Matthew is reminding us, Jesus is that same God. He's a God who is compassionate and gracious. You see, when you begin to look throughout the Gospels in the New Testament, you see that God saw our sin. He saw our helpless and harassed situation, separated from him, and he was moved to act. He was moved to act. He didn't just watch from afar and see how things played out. He was moved to act. In fact, did you know that before our problem even came into being, God already had a solution You know that? Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before the world was created, before the first star emitted light, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this, that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. What that means is that before anything had even happened, God knew that this is a direction that we were going to go, and he had already created and dealt with the solution before the problem had reared itself. This is a God who cares about his creation. He cares for you. So much. I hope you see that with clarity. And by the way, this idea of having a God who cares, this is unique to Christianity. Every other religion in the world, let me tell you what the the pathway is. The pathway is follow the rules, follow the guidelines, live a better life. And if you meet that requirements, you might be able to go be with your God. And and that God wants you to do well. and, And that God is rooting for you. But they're not really helping you. It's on you. You have to figure out how to be enlightened. You have to figure out how to follow the rules. You have to figure out how to meet the requirements and the levels. And if you do, you're in. And if you don't, you're out. And so every other religion is man's attempt to get to God. What makes Christianity unique from every other religion in the world is Christianity is God coming to man to rescue us. That's the difference. So when people say, well, hey, listen, all religions lead to the same place. No, they don't. No, no, they don't. They're wildly, Christianity is wildly different from one another. See, a lot of times people go, well, what's happened in Christianity is you're like, you're stuck on a cliff and Jesus throws down a rope so that you can climb up. Well, that's not far enough, right? In fact, Jesus doesn't throw a rope down to save you so that you can climb up. In fact, Jesus throws a rope down, he climbs down the rope, he grabs you, and then he carries you back up to a place of safety. That's Christianity, where you rely on him for absolutely everything. And do you see, do you see how helpless and harassed you are without Jesus? Do you see that without Jesus, you are an untouchable? Without Jesus, you are a not good enough. You need Christ, the shepherd, to carry you up, right? Let him carry you up to safety. And, and think about that. What, like, think about anybody who's ever been rescued. Like, they, they believed that they were going to die, and another person comes in and rescues them. How do they thank them? 
oh man, they're like hugging them, they're kissing them, they're telling their story, they're celebrating all of that, right? They go, oh man, we heard you had a close call. What happened? Tell the story. Oh, you're never going to believe it. It was this one person. He came in, she came in, she saved me. I can't believe it. She gave of herself, he gave of himself, and she absolutely saved me, right? You know what that is? That's worship. That's what that is. That's worship. When Jesus rescues you, what's the natural response? Worship. You hug him. You kiss him. You celebrate him. You tell your story, right? You praise him for what he's done. That's all worship is. I know for a lot of us, we got in our mind that, you know, worship is the warm-up to the sermon, but, you know, in the service. But it's not. It's just thanking him and celebrating him all the time. But you see very clearly that Jesus has compassion. Here's the second thing that becomes very clear to me from this passage is that Jesus multiplied his ministry through his apostles. He multiplied his ministry through his apostles. And so what he does here, right, we already talked about it. He prayed, and then he gave authority to his disciples when he chose the 12, and then he sent them, okay? So he starts off, he has compassion, and he goes, listen, guys, this is overwhelming. We've got to start with prayer. Why would Jesus teach his disciples to start ministry with prayer? Because what Jesus is signaling is what we're engaging in is a supernatural work. And if you're going to do work in the supernatural realm, you've got to have supernatural methods. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is intentionally going to God for guidance going to God for provision, going to God for courage, going to God for insight, going to God to complain, right? Like all of those things, that's what prayer is, is you're going to God and you're trusting him. And Jesus also said, there will always be more work to be done than workers who step up. He said, that's just going to be true. And the only way you're going to survive is if you pray. And the only way you're going to see God do amazing things in the lives of other people is when you pray. That's the starting place, is to intentionally put a flag in the ground that says, I am going to trust and rely on God in this endeavor of telling other people about Christ. Because without him, I can't do it. The next thing you see is you see uh, Jesus giving authority to the apostles to drive out demons and to heal people of their diseases, right? And, and you know what he's doing? He's giving them the ability to do what he had been doing. He says, listen, you've been watching, you've been helping, and now you're going to go do it. You're going to do the things that I have been doing. And he gave them authority to go out and to meet needs and to meet people where they're at and to care for them and to shepherd them right? To mend, to provide, to care, to guide, all of those things. And then it says he sent them, right? He sent them. By the way, that's what an apostle is. In the Greek, the word apostle simply means sent one. That's how it's translated, sent one. Now, in the New Testament, there's two understandings for this word apostle. The first understanding is the 12, right? Those are the 12 apostles that are named right here. One of them didn't work out so well. Uh, But, right, the 12 apostles who God was going to use to start this new community known as the church. And so that's one way that the word apostle is used. And it's used uniquely for those 12 in the Bible. But there's another way that the word apostle is used, which is a little bit more generic, which means sent ones, those who are sent with the gospel, which means that in that sense, every Christian is an apostle. Every Christian is a sent one who goes with 
the message of hope in Jesus Christ alone. And what I find amazing is Jesus says, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, not yet, you're gonna do that later, but right now you're going to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now for us, we go, yep, we get it, we understand. But if you would have been a Jew in Jesus' time and heard Jesus say, go to the lost sheep of Israel, you would have been offended. You would have gone, what do you mean the lost sheep? We're, we're God's chosen people. I have Abraham as my father. I follow the law. I go to synagogue every Sabbath. I'm in the temple at least twice a year. I'm not lost. I'm found. I know exactly where I am. And Jesus says, yeah, those people, you need to go to them. They're lost and they don't even know it. They don't even recognize it. They think that the way you get to God is by following all the rules and doing all the things. So you need to go to the lost sheep of Israel first. And he says, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, that's an interesting phrase. And I think when we hear the idea of the kingdom of heaven, very often what gets in our minds is we think literally of heaven. That must be what Jesus is talking about, that heaven is coming near. We're now going to have access to heaven like never before. But I want to give you a more biblical understanding of this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, especially when Jesus says, tell them that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not so much a place as it is an event. The kingdom of heaven is not so much a place as it is an event. And the event is this. The event of the kingdom of heaven is whenever and wherever God's will is realized. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Whenever and wherever God's will is realized, his authority is realized. And so what that means is that's including the defeat of sin and sin's effects. That is including the ushering in of God's righteousness and his peace. But whenever and wherever God's will and authority are realized, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He goes, listen, tell people that the realization of God's authority and will coming into reality is at hand. It's about to be unleashed in a new way. And I know some of you are going, you're skeptical and you're going, how can you say that the kingdom of heaven is not really a place? It's more of an event. Where are you getting this from? I feel like you're making this up. I can tell you multiple places in the New Testament, but the big one that I'll point to is in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus teaches us how to pray. Have you heard, you know, are you familiar with the Lord's prayer, right? It goes this way. Our father who is in heaven, your name is holy. What's the next line? Your kingdom come. Okay, Pause. Okay, your kingdom come, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about the kingdom of heaven. There's a parallel statement that comes right after that. Your kingdom come, oh, those are synonymous. God's kingdom coming is God's will being done. Those are the same. So when you're praying for God's kingdom to become, you're saying, God, I want your authority to be realized in my life. I want your will to be realized in my life and in this world. And what's it say after that? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why is heaven heaven? Because God's authority is being fully unleashed and realized in heaven. And we want that same level of will and authority to be realized in this place. That's the kingdom of heaven, right? Jesus says, let people know the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I love that Jesus multiplied his ministry through his apostles. Why did he do that? 
because God promised that he would. In Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve chose sin and disobedience, God begins to pronounce, announce the curses that are coming. And one of the things he says to the serpent, that there is going to be enmity between you and people, that between uh, your offspring and the woman's offspring, and you will strike his heel and he will crush your head. And so God was promising in that moment that he was going to use humanity in a unique way. This is one of the reasons Jesus came in the flesh, right? That he was going to crush sin. Satan was going to strike his heel. It's going to look like he, was, he had lost and he had died, but he was going to crush his head. This is the cross and the resurrection in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Then in Genesis 12, God grabs this guy named Abram, who's the son of an idol maker, pulls him out of that culture and goes, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make you so great that the entire world will be blessed because of you and your family. You see, God promised that he would use people to fulfill his will, his will. And he did. So he's doing that. He's multiplying his ministry through the apostles. And you see that on the other side, Matthew chapter 28. What does Jesus say? You go into all the world and make disciples. Acts chapter one, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses to the entire world. And so God had always planned that the solution for sin would be shared by you. It would be accomplished by his son. He knew that before the creation of the world, and he knew it would be shared by you and by me. He was setting all of this up. So the question then becomes, well, then what do we do? What, what, what do we do with this? What does this look like? How do, we, how do we trust? How do we believe? How do we, all this stuff? Well, I think it's very simply. You see that in, in chapter 10. It's, it's go and tell. Go and tell. Go and share with other people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that means telling others that Christ is the shepherd who helps the harassed and the helpless. He brings help. He brings satisfaction. And what happens is he says, those who choose to trust him, they're forgiven of their sins. They receive a new life. The spirit of God actually dwells within them. They're brought into a relationship with God, but those who refuse to put their trust in Christ, actually, he says, it would be better for them if they were in Sodom or Gomorrah on the day that those cities were destroyed. It's more bearable to have been in that situation than to bear the judgment that's going to come for rejecting Jesus Christ as your forgiver and leader. And so what Jesus is telling us is that telling others about the gospel of Jesus is the most important work any Christ follower will ever do. It's the most urgent and it's the most important work that we will ever do with our lives. I had a whole thing I was going to share with you, and I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to do this. I think I'll, what I'm going to do is later this week, I'm going to share some of that content with you as a church family. And so here's what I want you to do. If you're going, hmm, I would love to hear the rest 
of what you were going to say. <laughs> uh, do me a favor right now. Grab your connection card right here at Lighthouse and in Bluffton. Uh, do me a favor. Grab your connection card. Make sure you have your name on it. Make sure you have your email address on it. Um, and then if you want to hear and get the rest of what I was going to share with you, check the back of the card where it says, I'm going to write out my story this week. And what I'll do is I'm going to send you one, the resource that I was planning to share uh, to help you know uh, how to share your story uh, of coming to faith and how to share God's story of what he's done through Jesus Christ. But I'll also share with you uh, the other content that I was going to include this morning. Um, so if you would like to receive that, uh, fill out your card. Uh, I will make sure that gets it to you or that it gets to you. Um, if you if you don't want to receive that, uh, I'll be sure to pray for you. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Seriously, fill out the card. Uh, no. <laughs> Listen, listen, sharing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is the, is the most important work that any Christian will ever do. And I know many of us do very important things with our day and with our lives, but I've got to tell you the most urgent thing, the most important thing you will ever do with your time in this world is to let other people know who Jesus is and what he has done. Eight days ago, our church found out that a young woman who had recently started coming to our church died unexpectedly. It, ha- just, it was just last Saturday. And, and we heard that news and it was crushing. And I want to share with you, I, I can't share with you her whole life because I don't know her story. What I can share with you is the last two months of her life, of some of the things that I know. And here's what I know, is that about two months ago, Lighthouse Community launched our fall semester of small groups. And during that time, there was a mom who was going to that small group who invited this young woman to join their small group. And she came. And that small group welcomed her, loved on her, blessed her, right? She had come out of this really religious background, uh, didn't understand a lot about the gospel and who Jesus really was. And this group just walked with her, right? They welcomed her in. And she said, if this is what small group is like, I wonder what Sunday mornings, what their church family as a whole is like. And so she started coming to Lighthouse Community on Sunday mornings with her family, She was a part of singing and prayer and hosting and teaching and all of that. And two Sundays ago, she was right here in this room, and she heard Pastor Matt Altfeltis teach out of Matthew chapter 9 about a paralyzed man and about Levi the tax collector. And she heard all of that. And on that day, she saw and heard the gospel freshly like never before. And I have her connection card where it marks, she marks, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my forgiver and leader for the first time in my life. This is her card with her handwriting. A couple of days later, Pastor Matt reached out to her and followed up to say, hey, talk to me about what you marked on your card. What's going on? And she was so excited to share about her new faith in Jesus and what God was doing in her. And it was just a week, a week and a half after that when she passed away. Now, 
That story is both heartbreaking and there's joy in it at the same time. Right? Do, do, do you see? Do you see the urgency? Do you see how critical, how important it is for people to know who Jesus is, what he's accomplished, what he can do in us and through us? And as I'm thinking about this moment in her life, and I'm, and I'm reflecting over just the last couple of months, and it's not as if God had only been working in her life the last couple of months, but that's what we know. And I'm thinking, who was it that's responsible for helping this young woman come to faith in Jesus Christ? Was it the mom who invited her to group the first time? Was it the small group who helped her see the clarity of truth from the scriptures? Was it the worship leaders who led in song? Was it the kids workers who were helping to take care of her family? Was it Pastor Matt who shared the gospel? Was it some of you who welcomed her on a Sunday morning and said, I'm so glad you're here and shook her hand or smiled at her? Was it God who did it? Who was it who's responsible for her coming to faith? And as I'm thinking about the answer is yes. It's, it's all of that. Why? Because God cares about you enough to use other people to share the gospel with you so that you could say yes because the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the reality of truth. And so if you need the reminder this morning, I want to remind you that your mission as a Christ follower is not to legislate biblical values across the country. That's not your primary mission. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's evil. What I'm saying is that's not your primary mission. The greatest mission any one of us will ever have is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God came in the flesh and made your problem his problem and gave his blessings to those who would believe freely. And if you freely received, then we freely give. Because that's who our God is. And that's who we're becoming. And so Christian, let me encourage you. Share your story. Write your story. Share God's story. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, I want to tell you, the gospel's for you. Maybe you feel harassed. Maybe you feel helpless. Maybe you have felt stiff-armed. Maybe you have felt untouchable. Maybe you have felt not good enough. But I want to tell you, the gospel is for you. This is what we do. We help people to see that. We partner with God and the Holy Spirit to make that overwhelmingly clear. The gospel is for you. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. God, my prayer is that, that we have seen your care, your love, your overwhelming grace and mercy freshly today. And, and that we would, we would not be driven by guilt to go and save the world. 
but rather we would be led by the compassion of Jesus Christ, the same compassion that led him to pray, led him to give his authority, led him to send the 12 to go do what he was doing. I pray that we would do the same. I pray even right now you would begin bringing the names and the faces of people in our lives who are helpless and harassed. And you would grant us compassion. Not pity, not sympathy, not emotions. But compassion that compels us to go in humility and with gentleness sharing the gospel. Because we know from from Romans chapter 2 that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And I pray that would be abundantly clear. Staying just in a mode of prayer, I'm going to ask if our prayer leaders will begin to make their way to their spots um, even now as we get ready to pray together. Um, We want to pray for you. And so to do that, we, at the end of every teaching, at the end of the service, what we do is we have prayer leaders who make themselves available in four corners of the room, one up here by the cross, one back by the sound booth, one will be up here underneath the sign, one will be back by the double doors to pray with you about any area of your life at all. Um, And you don't have to be a member of Lighthouse, uh, and you don't have to be embarrassed to want to receive prayer, because we all need prayer, right? Like, I need prayer, Uh, Heidi needs prayer. Um, you, you need prayer too. And so this is an opportunity to do that. And so the band is going to lead us in one song. And during that song, um, you are welcome to come and pray about anything at all. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're here in the house at Lighthouse, if you'll stand with us as we prepare to worship. And as you do that, I want to pray for you um, and invite you to come as well. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.